Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. And now to parenting and how parents can develop their children as thinkers, listeners, problem solvers, learners and individuals taking responsibility for their actions. Our guest is teacher, author, public speaker and chief executive of Spectrum Education, Karen Tui Boys, who says it's very simple. Show children how by modelling your own behaviour. Karen, good morning. Good morning. I'm smiling because often it's a shock when you see your own behaviour come back at you having modelled an appropriate behaviour. This can cut both ways. Isn't that one of the worst parts of being a parent, seeing your own behaviour reflected back? (laughs) We're looking to do this in a positive way today. Of course. (laughs) And we're we're going to embrace, embrace what kind of knowledge about human interaction the idea that we tend to model and we tend to mirror even what is displayed to us what do we know about this well, neuroscientists about 20 years ago discovered we have mirror neurons and so they're special parts neurons in the brain that actually um cause us to mirror the behaviour we see, which is really important when we're babies uh, because we need to mirror behaviours. We mirror what people say, we mirror what um, people do because that's how we learn. And uh, the wonderful example is when a a parent is feeding a baby and you push the spoon over to the baby but the parent opens their mouth and the baby opens their (laughs) mouth. So it's it's that whole mirroring which is uh, really important for learning. There's lots and lots of examples of this. Um, we were just saying often adults will, we will mirror facial expressions. So Correct. if someone does something unusual with their face, I find myself doing it too. We talked about how when someone has a frog in the throat, you'll often try and clear it for them. Do we know what that's about? Is it some kind of tribal endorsement of people? Or well, neuroscientists aren't exactly sure. Perhaps it's part of feeling like we belong. Perhaps it's part of empathy. They're really not exactly sure. I know that uh, my husband yawned this morning and I yawned too, but I wasn't even feeling tired. And I'm like, why am I yawning? I said to him, stop that. So it is something that we do and it's almost automatic, but uh, they're not exactly sure why. Unless there's uh, something in the brain that is triggered by seeing the behaviour. Well, that would be the mirror neuron that's triggered. Yeah, the mirror neuron. Have you ever been out for um, coffee with a friend and you you noticed you're both scratching your head or you're both leaning in the same way? That way, that's actually about I'm doing it right now. Uh, Or or you open your eyes wide and the person looking at you opens their (laughs) eyes wide. It's actually quite creepy. Or just smile at somebody when you walk down the street randomly and they smile back. Sure. When children are younger, is it often the physical stuff that will be mirrored? We're talking about going further into actual behaviours and gestures, um, which is what I'm doing right now. But when they're younger, it it often is mum smiles, so I smile back, or um, 
you know, mum, yes, mum did yes. this activity, so or dad did this activity, so I'll go and do this. Yes, and so straight out many, learning by doing. Mm. I think so. And, and how many parents uh, show their children how to crawl? You know, <laughs> we actually we actually show them what we want to do. So I think that's uh, part of these mirror neurons for us to copy what we see. Absolutely. And and first of all, that's going to happen on a visual level of what we see. And then what they hear, uh, you know, we say mama, da, da to children because that's what we want them to say. So they copy. When we're getting to behaviour, it gets a little bit more nuanced. Shall we begin with listening? You want your child to listen. Yes. How well do you model? <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is some uh, fascinating uh, research that shows that children who are listened to will be good listeners. So uh, in one of the uh, areas that this is often found is when people have dinner together. So, And this is a dying art. I don't know if it's an art. It's a dying thing that happens, that people, families sit around the dinner table and eat together. Uh, without the TV on, without the cell phones, without any distractions. And then the conversation happens. So then they can have conversations and ask questions and uh, model and practice listening to one another. And my my children still uh, will say, you're not listening to me to, when uh, uh, the conversation starts to get a bit heated because everyone's trying to go in over top of each other. But even as teenagers, that's a really important uh, modelling of what do we do in that situation. Including pausing, looking, clearly receiving the information. And this is a really important one because this is giving them skills that will help them navigate adult relationships and, and confront difficult things. But I don't know about your situation. I'm part of a very large family and we all grew up talking over the top of each other all the time. And actually we would you were still listening. It's quite Correct. it is and I have to I'm guilty of this constantly. Um, now in understanding that for other people talking and listening at the same time is not normal and when you start talking they stop. So these are these are things we will learn when we're young and we can either model good examples or we can model you know Less optimal examples. So the dinner table is a good one. Or just talking to your child at all, the temptation is number one to finish their sentence or tell them what to say. That's 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 one issue. Let's let's zero in on that. Let them say what they want to say, not what you want them to say. And we can be guilty of this. So the three parts of great listening is to pause, to paraphrase, and then to probe. And so the pause is the, is the important part to start with, is to stop and just listen. And listen for understanding rather than listen to reply. So that's uh, an interesting nuance, isn't it? We're not so... We're not going to say, oh, you're, but when you're I was... lining up your next statement yeah, rather so we're than not listening. Doing that. Yes, exactly. Yes. And they can see you lining up your next statement because your lips are getting ready to move. <laughs> or your body language is showing, sure. hurry up because I'm ready to say what yep. I need to say. Yes. So the pausing. And so pause when a child asks a question, pause to think about the answer, even if you know it, uh, to show them that you're being thoughtful about what you're um, going to say. Uh, pause when you ask them a question and wait for their response rather than pushing for a fast response. So there's many times we can model that pausing for our children, but pausing to listen. Yes, so that's that is one. That's a different matter slightly, isn't it? Also from inserting what you wish they'd said to what they had said, and that's almost a higher level skill. That's actually 
not just giving them time to speak, but to be prepared to hear what they're saying rather than replacing it, as I said, with what you wish they'd said. Correct. And that's the second stage of the paraphrase, to be able to say, so what I understand you're saying is, um, or um, so are you feeling really upset about this and naming the emotion that your child might be feeling, but actually trying to understand where they're coming from? You might not necessarily agree, and that's the great thing about being a good listener. You don't have to agree with what the person is saying, you, and that's part of the empathy as well. You just want to be able to understand and show them that you understand their point of view. And that can be hard because you automatically want to come back with what you believe is the right way for this to yes. proceed. But what you're doing is inviting that classic, you're not listening to me, because you probably aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and we're busy too yeah. as parents. I understand. I think that's yeah. also part of the challenge. And so yeah. taking that time to show that you're valuable, because when somebody truly listens to you, it shows great respect. You've got... A, a magnificent list for dinner table questions. I wonder if we should pause on that now, seeing we started on it. Um, because what is it that can become very useful as a result of developing this and in, in quite early? You can move from I'm listening to what you've said to broadening the conversation or, or to starting conversations that might be important. Absolutely. The number one question parents ask children who are at school is, what did you do at school today? And of course, the number one response is nothing. (laughs) I've worked in 20 countries now with parents and students, and they all do nothing every day. It's the same curriculum. So it's not a good question to ask. So you want to broaden that by asking more fun questions. I used to say to my daughter when she came home, did anyone throw up today? And she'd look at me and go, "No, Mum." <laughs> but it was like it would it would push her out of her boundaries of what I, she thought I was going to say, and so it would open up a conversation. So, uh, asking questions that don't have a right or wrong answer: Would you rather be a lamp or would you rather be a traffic light? You know, and uh, wouldn't you get, Mum? It's nerve. <laughs> maybe, maybe it depends what you've um, yeah. set up. In my family, we started with. What's your favourite part of the day? And we'd go around the table and talk about that. And then as my children got older, we started talking about what um, what positive difference did you make in the world today or see somebody make? And it might be just I smiled at somebody or my daughter used to say I stopped at the pedestrian crossing and waved at the person who was uh, letting me across. Uh, or I picked up some rubbish on the ground and put it in the rubbish bin. So, And then we moved to what are you grateful for? Because there was a period of time I felt like they were just being ungrateful for what they had and what this amazing place they live. So all these questions sort of morphed so yes I have a list of about 87 questions which are just different challenging questions that you might ask the other thing is and this again is a function of being busy and a lot of things needing to happen is often the very short term questions you know what's, what do you need to take to school tomorrow or, you know, what, what, what happened today or what, what day is X happening but asking those big broad questions that whether at the moment at the dinner table or later actually digs a little bit deeper into what's going on with them. Have you got some of those in in your list as well? Um, you know, bigger life questions. 
that probably are... yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah so um you just want you know what do you want to do when you grow up I and mean, that's a question kids get asked all the time and they don't know because there's so many choices and the world will probably look very different uh, but what do you love doing now and how could you use that to make uh, a difference in the world what would your job look like if you could do anything you wanted to yes. do when you left school yeah. and from that you can get instead of specific functional conversations you can get more of a sense of what's going on yes between the ears so look listening is one big challenge that one but your point is they will learn they will learn these behaviours in part and large part from the way you conduct yourself. Absolutely. So they, uh, if you want them to be good listeners, then you need to provide that time. And dinner time is a great time to do that because I remember my daughter coming down to my office one day and being um, trying to tell me something and I was busy and I was um, focused and she turned to me and she stamped her foot and said, I'll ask you at dinner. Because she knew there was going to be a time in the day where I was completely present. That's interesting because that might vary from household to household. There might be yes. a parent working four days a week but, but an afternoon where they're home and available. And if you, if you know there's going to be a time where that kind of conversation can happen, then then things can be planned. Or driving. I don't know how successful this is because it's such a nightmare normally, isn't it? Car trips. But sometimes if there's just one parent, one kid, that yes. can be an incredibly valuable time. My husband and I often toss up who's going to take our son um, to Air Force cadets on a Wednesday night. So they can talk instead yeah, so of you can, two talking. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to take him tonight. I want to have a conversation with him. Or he says, I want to take him. I want to hang out with my boy. <laughs> so I think that is uh, a good time to do it too. But also bedtime. If you have a bedtime ritual and sit on the bed and have a quick chat, and often that's where everything spills out from for children. Uh, problem solving. Again, if you want them to be good at it, how are you modelling it? Do it my way, problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> um, it's a challenge. Yep. It's a challenge. But when our children have problems, uh, we... we t- tend as because we're busy to try and rescue them and do it for them and it's just quicker to be able to do that rather than say um, uh, what options have you got or go away and think about it for a minute and come back and what uh, come up with two solutions that you think might be useful Uh, and but that takes time so you've got to have the time to do that Uh, I think the problem solving is also allowing them for their to learn those bigger life lessons, like when they've lost something, instead of rescuing and finding it for them, uh, say to them, "Well, ask ask questions. Where did you leave it last? What would you, what would you do with it? What were you doing with it?" Or um, just leave them to realise that if they put something in the right place all the time, it would be more functional and easier to find. Again, even if it's like they've got a clash coming up, it can be very quick and efficient for you to to, to solve the issue for them but it's got every now and then to just prompt them and let them work through it themselves yes time consuming as that might be yeah and ask the questions yeah you know what would you gain from this situation what might you gain from that situation and so you weigh it up mm. is I'll there another way you. you can make both things happen yes. more, yeah. instead of going straight to well if you did this and then did this problem Correct. solved making mistakes we all know people who've never made a mistake in their lives. <laughs> Not. We've often been related to them. <laughs> so how important is it and how do you model well making mistakes well and recovering well? 
I think it's just being real and um, not pretending uh, so that um, as a parent that we just say, hey, I'm not sure. Um, and I think last time I interviewed you, you asked me a question and I went, I don't know. And you said to me, but you're the parenting expert, but I actually don't I know everything. I know. <laughs> but, but, but many people wouldn't do that and say, mm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, so it's that ability to say to your children, I actually don't know the answer to this or uh, as, so as the model, um, or I did that it, wrong. I got oh, yes, that wrong yes, last week. Yes, I did something, and I realised I was wrong. And here's how I need to fix it. And in those horrible moments for me as a parent, when I've done something like yelled at my children to excess, where I've really felt guilty, uh, instead of just wearing that guilt when I've been ready and when I've calmed myself down, I've gone and apologised and just said, oh, "I am so sorry." I was stressed, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't being empathetic. Um, I'm sorry that wasn't the best way for me to do that. It's a separate category, but how to apologise, when and how, is another really important thing to teach people. People can go through life incapable of apologising. And again, you've got the chance early on in life to, to, to show them how. Absolutely. And it is such a stress remover and it's such a relationship repairer to know how to apologise genuinely and well. Absolutely. It's, um, and how to accept that apology. Mm. So how to apologise, but also how to say, um, well, I didn't like what you did and I accept your apology. So it's the it's the being able to give the apology, but also being able to accept it as well. A lot of this stuff is about higher level relationship management, but it's something else as well. Um, if you don't feel like you can be wrong because your parents are never wrong, you can go through life BSing, frankly, and it's not gonna get you very far, and it's not gonna get anyone else very far, learning that it is okay, it is healthy to be wrong and to be able to acknowledge it to yourself and to others is just so important. Absolutely. And it takes um, away the fear of being wrong. Yes. I held a, a deep secret in myself for about 20 years of cheating at university. And I've publicly talked about this before. So, uh, But I cheated because I, I, I'd had a bad mark and I didn't want my parents to know. So I cheated by copying somebody's assignment who got an A to ensure I had a pass mark. And I lived in fear all through my university that they'd find out, even on graduation day, that they were going to stop me halfway across the stage and say, you can't graduate. Uh, and it was only in my 40s that I had the courage to tell my parents because I was so scared that they would not love me because I'd made a mistake. And so I think it's really important for us to be able to say to our children and show them that we're human and that uh, things do go wrong and we do uh, have... Well, we make mistakes. How often is a relationship ruined or ended because someone simply doesn't know how to fix something they've done that's that's wrong? Absolutely. It's bad enough it may not be able to be mended. But often it's a simple thing. A friend's falling out or you made an absolute clown of yourself intoxicated at some event. Yes. And it's easier to actually end that engagement or that mm. relationship than to simply say... That was a cluster. Here's what's going on. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Absolutely. So being able to apologise and just I can move think on. of an elderly rel relative who seriously 
whose life wisdoms were um, communicated once along the lines of you never admit you're wrong and you never say you're sorry. <laughs> and we laugh about it. Yes. But how sad is that? That is very sad. Mm. Okay, so these are some of the relationship things. Uh, problem solving, making mistakes. What other positive things can you model with some confidence that they will be picked up on, that you should be thinking about. Yeah. Um, so if you want your child to be a great learner, you need to be modelling learning. What are you learning right now and showing them that you're being a learner? So are you learning to play the guitar? Are you learning to back a trailer? Are you learning to cook a new meal? Um, so as a parent, really important to show your children that you are still learning because lifelong learning is going to be the key to success for our children. So what are you still learning to do? Maybe it's learning to communicate. Maybe it is learning to apologise. Maybe it's uh, learning to um, speak a new language. So whatever it is, show them that you're a learner and then show them the stresses, the the challenges that you have and the failures that you make in your learning and be able to laugh about that and uh, model it for them. Model a bit of short-term sacrifice for longer-term gain. Correct. To encourage them to be a thinker. This is an interesting one. Um, and how can you go about that again as a parent? Oh, you, you sort of think you either come out that way or you don't. <laughs> but how can you model them to, to pause and to really go through the processes of considering things deeply? Well, I think it's that probing of those asking those questions. Uh, when my children say... Um, it's really weird stuff. I'm like clarifying language. When you say weird, what do you mean about weird? And what is stuff? So I'm helping them be really clear on their language and use good language. Um, I'm helping them to understand their thought process a little bit more. So when you said you had a really fun time, what about that was fun? So I'm delving a little deeper into the experience and I'm not doing this every time I speak to my children I need to say because it would just be but at those times it's like tell me a little bit more about that and so I try and be genuinely interested and get them to think a little deeper than oh it was just good. You can also model changing your mind. I used to think x and I've thought it through and now I think y. Again, some people will hold on to their argument or their their case or their position on something from five years ago for dear life. <laughs> well, we have a you need can, as humans we can to be learn, right. We can live and learn. <laughs> yes, correct. And, we can change, and the ability to change your mind and say, look, yes, I said that yesterday, but actually I've thought through what you've said and, and I've completely changed my position. This, again, is like a, it's a, like a maturing way of, of being in some ways that, that you can model. That you, can model. You, you mentioned the learned helplessness or the... Um, the temptation sometimes to do everything for someone. And this isn't necessarily you as a parent. It might be happening somewhere else in the family, you know. Um, And how can you help people see that that's not necessarily helping someone develop? When my daughter was born, she, my son was two and a half years older, so he was the proud big brother. I have to say it's 16 and 19 now. It's more like get out of my room. But when they, when, she was born he was so proud he fed her he dressed her he uh uh, wanted to bathe her he 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 did everything for her he tied her shoelaces and when she started to talk he talked to her he'd say she's thirsty he'd he'd say everything so she learned to be a little bit more learned helpless because she didn't have to do it she knew big brother would so uh, after a while when I started to be more aware of this I found a little phrase that I love and it says this 
If you say it for me, if you write it for me, if you draw it for me, all I learn is that you are better than me. And so I put that on the fridge. And I got her to say it, and I got him to say it. And it was wonderful because he started to realize, oh, I'm just trying to prove that I'm better. I'm, I'm superior because I know how to do it. And she went, no, I can't learn if you do it for me. So it became the conversation that happened in our household. So being able, and that's true for us as parents, you know, if we're doing it for them, if we're saying it for them, all they're learning is that we're better than they are. Also, you can even acknowledge these things in yourself and you're never going to be perfect, but if you can sort of see the moments when you're happening, again, you can admit it, laugh about it, have some acceptance over it, and then gradually, bit by bit, do things a little bit differently. You just made me think of another situation of a youngest child in a very large family, and it was funny because at gatherings people would ask, this is not me, by the way, but people would ask her a question and she wouldn't answer because she's waiting for her mother to answer, <laughs> to, to answer yes. it for her. Yeah. And look, it's kind of sweet and funny, but seriously, yes. I observed, I've observed it happening. Absolutely. Like, like piling, oh, she's doing X, or she thinks X. It's. Um, I see it a lot. Yeah. I see that a lot with parents answering or older siblings yeah. answering. or. But there'd be yes. the silence. If the, if the parent wasn't around, there was the silence because she didn't know how to do it. But again, um, she turned out fine. We don't need to get too self-flagellating about this. It's just a little bit of awareness, right? Yes. So, And it's just being aware that uh, if you see a deficiency, if if that's the right word, or if you see an area where your child isn't doing well or isn't being able to think well, it's like, how do I model that? How do I show them that I can do that? Or what do I need to learn to help them learn to do that? Thank you, Karen. Karen Boyd's Spectrum Education. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.